Welcome to the Suffering Podcast. Each week, we walk you through how suffering is the way to sustainable success and the path to greatness. We are now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any other major podcast platform. Please subscribe and like to get the latest episodes as soon as they drop. You can always find our latest episodes at thesufferingpodcast.buzzsprout.com. Please comment. We may even read your comments on future podcasts and even reach out to you for a future guest spot. Like and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for The Suffering Podcast. Here you'll see links to episodes, updates, and inside information on how to achieve greatness through the joy of suffering. So get ready, sit down, and strap in. Strap in. We are proud to introduce the Dented Development Project. In conjunction with the Suffering Podcast, the Dented Development Project is a nonprofit 501c3 with a mission. That's to help first responders and their families repair dents caused by suffering. Visit us at DentedDevelopmentProject.com and get involved today. Helping us means that we can take care of those who take care of us. Sit your ass down. Sit your ass down. Let's talk about the suffering. It's time to start the pain. Sit your ass down. Sit your ass down, down, and strap in. Strap in. This is gonna hurt. Gonna hurt. This is gonna hurt. Gonna hurt. Let's talk about the suffering. It's time to start the pain. This is gonna hurt. Gonna hurt. It's time, it's time for the Suffering, for the suffering Podcast. Podcast. All new Suffering Podcast gear is here. The show depends heavily on our supporters to get the word out. Let people know that suffering is a team sport and no one is alone in their struggles. Wearing the Suffering Podcast merchandise accomplishes that goal. Check out our store at thesufferingpodcast.com or check our show notes for the link. Your support and love means everything to us. Welcome back to part two of the Suffering of Blue Suicide here at the Blue Magazine's Blue Camping Law Enforcement and Friends Mental Health Retreat. We had an amazing day so far. I'm looking forward to some new guests coming in on this episode. Mike, these guys, they're just, they keep shocking us every time we come out and do something for them. You know what, they always put on a great display and it's always for a good cause. Uh, I mean, Blue Suicide is real and, you know, they got to get the word out there. And I, I think uh, the Blue Magazine... And what they stand for is, is, is a fantastic job. Now, this is a moment that I've been waiting for for weeks and weeks and weeks. A guy who I've really took to and admire for his stance on strong leadership and law enforcement. We're sitting down today with Sheriff David Clark, coming all the way from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Thank you for being here, Sheriff. It's, it's an honor for us. No, it's my honor, and it's always good to get back to the Garden State. I've been here a number go. of times, and uh, you got some good stuff going on here. You just need more political support. This is to bring awareness to the stigma of blue suicide, the epidemic of blue suicide. The Blue Magazine just does the greatest job in the world in getting rid of all these stigmas and saying, hey, we're all here together. But one of the things I wanted to sit down with you and talk about, because you have a voice and you, ha- you seem to speak from that voice of reason and people are listening about the need for stronger leadership. As a leader in your tenure as sheriff, 
and you came across mental health issues, I'd like to find out how you handled them because people are listening to you. They're looking for leadership, and I think you're the right person to give it. Well, I appreciate it. And, you know, leadership, it's, it's one of these nebulous things. Uh, I think it's about opportunities. And I think that when you see and you have a platform, and I do have some platforms, and I have the use of some platforms, you know, like Blue Magazine, for one, uh, some radio uh, opportunities back home, talk radio. I get interviewed a lot all over the country. I'm a contributor on Newsmax TV. So those are the platforms that I have. And I think that if you have those platforms, you have to use them. And those are opportunities. And I think it would be a waste if I sat there knowing that I had these platforms and these opportunities and not do anything about it. That's shrinking from, from leadership. Leadership's not easy. It's wrought with peril. <laughs> you know, it <laughs> just is. Right. Well, you're damned yeah. if you're doing, you're damned if you yeah. don't, and you're never going to make anybody happy. Every right. decision you make, someone's going to be mad and someone's going to be happy. Fifty percent are yep. going to hate you for it. Uh, no matter what you do. So you have to realize that going in and don't base it on what a poll might say, what a poll is saying. Base it on your true conviction. Have some core values and just stand on those. You know, people appreciate that. Even people who don't always agree with me with what I say, I've had them actually come up and say to me, you know, I don't agree with a lot of things that you say, but at least you stand for something. And I know where you stand. I know where you're at, which is, you know, in a political environment, uh, it's hard to find. People are, you know, they're wobbly. They're shifting with the wind, trying to figure out, you know, which, which way a poll is going. And they want to be in line with that poll. That's not leadership. That's following. Right. You know, you bring it back home to the American police officer, something that I was involved in for nearly 40 years in my community. Served at the with the local police, the Milwaukee Police Department, the city of. But you fought criminals, and now that you're in the political realm, now you're seeing some real criminals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those other guys were nothing, probably compared to what you're well, seeing. Well, because those criminals on the street don't have power, <laughs> and the ones in political and elected positions have power, and that's what makes them dangerous. Right. Things that are that local police are dealing with are important to me still, even though I retired. Because I served with a lot of these people, and many of them are still there today. You know, we're brothers and sisters in the law enforcement community. Whether we're from a different town, city, state, the profession is solid. It's solid behind this, this you know, they call it the thin blue line, right? We are the thin blue line. So I still feel an obligation. And now that I have a platform with which to support them, with which to inspire them, so on and so forth, it's fortunate, but it's, 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 it's a win-win for both sides. You know, I always say, as, as police officers, we're out there with one common goal, and that's protect and serve, protect your community and everything else. We have to band together. You had said something one time about a, the, the bee. If one bee comes at you, you could swat that bee away. But if 100, 100, 100 bees. bees come at you, you strength in numbers. Yeah. Strength yeah. in numbers. You have taken your knowledge in law enforcement, you've applied it to a political platform, and you're seeing a lot of flack. I'm sure you get it. And the burden of leadership is one that I really take to heart. But there's got to be a way for you to unburden yourself. You're having all these different things come down on you. Is there, ever, is there a way you do just to decompress after long road trips and you're getting into political discussions on air? And I imagine it's got to be taxing to your soul. Well, it is, because I'm human. There's no doubt about that. And, and, and I let people know I have all of the frailties that come along with the human condition, just like anybody else. 
But you have to find those moments. You have to find those opportunities. You have to recognize that this is a decompressed moment and I'm going to take it or I need a decompression moment. And you got to find that sweet spot. But one of the things when you're in leadership, it's a sacrifice. All right. You have to sacrifice yourself. It's not about me. And, you know, the things that I appreciate, you know, what you mentioned that I'm human and go through these things, but it's not about me. It's about the people I serve. It's about the people who, you know, I'm in a position to do some good for. And so you have to sacrifice yourself uh, in doing it. It's not for everybody. It's, it's tough. It is very hard to, when, when you're in a position of leadership, no matter who it is. Um, and it isn't just, you know, on TV and, and, and in elected office. I mean, you could be inside your family. You're the leader of the family. All right. And there's some problems going on with kids, with whatever. The bills are stacking, you know, and, and things are falling apart around you. But somebody's got to stand up and go, and it's okay, stressful. wait a minute. Extremely. Yeah, I get those, those moments. There's no doubt about that. But I'll tell you what, there's plenty of opportunities for me. Um, you're just cognizant all around you to take that moment to catch your breath, you know, to exhale and, and inhale and breathe. And, you know, you don't need... It'd be nice to have days and weeks of it, but, but you know, all you need is a couple minutes. But you just we'll settle for minutes of peace and quiet. Recognize this is one of those moments, and then when it's there, um, deal with it. People look to you now for this in this leadership role, and yes, you are Sheriff David Clark, America's Sheriff, but you're also David Clark, the man. When you were in that leadership position, what resources did you put forth towards? police mental health as being something part of how we take care of our officers yeah you know when i was the sheriff because i'm retired about four years now this thing wasn't on the map yet i mean it wasn't like we didn't think law enforcement officers needed that we need to focus on mental mental wellness i call it but it wasn't on the map and you know cops they're a tough breed they just are cops internalize things Think of everything on a daily basis, just the one tour of duty a, a law enforcement officer deals with. Everybody else's problems. Nobody calls the police because everything is fine, right? <laughs> they, they, they have these problems and they want to dump it on you. So think of what we put a law enforcement officer through. They just internalize that stuff and they just keep marching forward to the next call, to the next call, the next radio call, the next radio. And then by the end of the day, I mean, they're mentally exhausted. And then we just watch them get in their cars and you know, drive home or, or, or do whatever. But now, this thing is on the map because it's gone way beyond with the, with the data. And I've read a lot about it, this suicide in this profession. In, 19, in 2019, there were 228 law enforcement officers that committed suicide. In 2020, there were more than that. So this is not only at a crisis level but it's continuing to get worse. And I think the most important thing at, at this point in time, which I think an event like this does, we have to bring awareness to the greater community, not just within the law enforcement community. The cops know, their families know, their friends might know about this emerging crisis, but the general public doesn't. And, and why is that important? Because we need more resources for this type of study. Look at the amount of money and the resources that the 
Uh, NFL is is spending on this brain injury thing. Well, CTE. CTE injuries, right? yeah. And that's a good thing, right? Right. But they're talking hundreds of millions of dollars for study. Where's the study? Where are the studies on why law enforcement officers, by the way, the highest rate of suicide of any profession in the United States? Think about these things. And that's why I said the awareness. And, and if you if we could get this out to the public, they'd be shocked. It's like 1.2 per 100,000 for a regular population. It's 1.7. The last statistic I saw from 2019, 1.7 per 100,000 for law enforcement. But people got to realize that law enforcement people, although we see all that stuff, we're, we're human beings. We have emotions. You know, 40 years in law enforcement, you've seen some hairy, hairy things, but they dealt with it a little differently when you first started to the time that you left. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. <laughs> but, you know, here's the thing, too. The awareness is going to bring about the resources, and the resources, let's be honest, it's money. Yeah. You have to have money for research. You have to have money for uh, studies. And I want grants. I want grants given to, let's say, some uh, hospital or some university that has a, a you know, psychiatric department that studies mental wellness, mental health, and give them grants to study specifically. You cannot lump law enforcement in with every other segment of the population when it comes to mental health. The rest of the public, I'm not saying they don't have problems, they don't deal with the same problems that a law enforcement officer does so i think this is a specific genre but we got to have money from the state where's the state where's the federal government in terms of grants to study this crisis growing in law enforcement and well that's where folks like yourself who are good enough to come out to events like this which give credence and and name to this event which brings everybody together and that's how we go about getting that funding awareness and and you know wherever wherever i can help i mean i just I came here from Georgia. I was in Georgia at a support the police rally. The weekend before that, I was in Ohio, Strongsville, Ohio, at a support the police rally. Uh, next week, I'll be going to Texas for a different uh, event. But time is, is, is real squeezed for me. But, you know, the folks at Blue Magazine have been good for me. You know, I write a regular column. But got a, they, they, they got a heck of a dinner coming out, too, coming <laughs> real soon. I'm, I'm getting hungry. They, I can smell uh, it. Uh, you know, they ask, and, and I've been out here before, met many of the people who are here today numerous times for my, my visits here, and I always say, if I can, I will, you know, if time allows. So I was done with my event on Friday in Georgia, got on a plane, flew to New York so I could make this event, and it was that important to me. Uh, but that's, again, you know, what my role is right now is to use these platforms and start to ask these two-bit politicians, oh, we support police. Yeah, we, really? Do you? Yeah. How Tell do me you, what how you've do you, done. Exactly. Tell when, me, you, when you want their union vote, maybe. Yeah. 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 Tell me specifically what you've done. And what are, you know, what are you doing about police suicide? And then watch them, you know, blah, 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 blah. They, they won't know what to say because it's just all political speak. But I'm not going to let people get away with that. We have to have money for research as to why these cops are taking their lives. Now, it's, it's, you, can, you can come to some easy conclusions because some of them have left suicide letters and basically they say the pressure of the job, the stresses of the job, uh, we know that, but why some and not others? That's what the researchers should find out. Why is this cop who's working under the same conditions in the same situations 
why is he or she not committing suicide and why did this one? I mean, there's got to be a correlation that I can't as a, I'm, look, I'm a career cop. Right. I'm not a researcher. I, I don't have degrees in psychology and psychiatry, but we need to task those people to say, study cops. And what is it about why one cop can go, I lasted 40 years, why can this cop last 15 years and not do it? Now you got another guy uh, or woman. But I say guy because uh, I've looked at the data, and it's mostly men that are doing this. It's not women. Well, the, okay. w- the women seem to have more willingness to let it out and talk about it where the men internalize it. Mike and I were both uh, involved in critical incidents in law enforcement, forcing us both to retire. So I've always kept my finger on the pulse of any type of new or current research, which is very small. You're, you're 100% correct. The research is so small out there. But I keep my pulse on it from... The use of uh, ibogaine in Mexico, which is uh, psychedelic, but it's done under a doctor's care to reduce it to all sorts of different type of uh, therapies around the country. And there's just not enough data around there. Your voice as a leader holds so much weight toward other leaders. What advice would you give a current leader in a police department in order how they should deal with mental health? Well, and and that's a tough one. Uh, You know, I... And I'm honest with people, you know, I don't have answers for everything, but I'll tell you one of the things that law enforcement executives can do to bridge this sort of thing is to give more moral support to their officers. Okay. And I don't mean in a private way. I don't mean at roll call all right, in, in the police precinct. I'm talking about in front of the media when the cops are getting beaten up, have the courage to stand up and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. What right. the heck are you talking about? You got a you know, front row, front row seat to it where you're from. Recently, in recent years, it's 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 a crime. Yes. It's it's sad. So I would start there. I mean, there are resources, you know, but they're the basic ones. Like every city and county has what they call an employee assistance program if they're struggling with whatever. But that's that's too generic for cops. Mm-hmm. Cops aren't going to the county or city employee assistance program, and here's why. And maybe this is why I'm saying maybe, I don't know, and I'm not trying to diagnose it. But if a cop goes to an employee assistance hotline and says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking of ending it all, I'm, I'm really in a dark place, by law, because this is supposed to be confidential, but by law, that has to be reported to that agency. Why? Because this guy's carrying a gun. Mm-hmm. A cop knows that. The cop not picking up that hotline and sharing his or her problems for fear that someone overreacts there and, and right there. runs to the, the department, the chief, and says, hey, Officer Smith called us the other day, and by law, we have to do this, notify you, and then that chief has to do something. Right. Now the cop gets put on what we call the rubber gun squad, gets his gun taken from him. That's what these cops are afraid of. And, that, that, and that's Losing the other career. Thing. And you... You lose your manhood. You appear to be damaged goods also. You right. really, now they're not going to give you you know, the, the proper assignments and everything else. The city's not going to want that chief to give them that gun back because of liability. Liability issues. Right? So now the cop's in limbo. And like you said, you know, he's been emasculated, right? Yes. His career. He's seeing his career go up in smoke. Which is maybe why I'm saying maybe because I have I, I'm not in a position. We're, we're to, all armchair therapists to, at this table <laughs> to, to diagnose this. Maybe that's why they take their lives, saying I can't deal with it anymore. I can't seek help. I'm going to lose my career, 
and they, you know, what they call, we, they eat their gun. I don't know, but that's why I said you cannot, we cannot approach this just through generic suicide prevention and whatnot because uh, there's got to be some safeguards. And, and I know it's a tough thing, but maybe something in the law that says once this person is, is, is cleared by doctors, he has to get his gun back. Correct. All right. But if you don't put that in the law, you know how elected officials are with, with cities and towns, right? They're, they're scared of liability. And so they're not going to want to take, they're, they're going to look at it and go, it's not worth it. It's not worth the liability. Well, this is a human being, damn it, who with a, sought help. With and what did we do for seeking help? And you know who's watching that? All the other cops go, oh, that guy went for help. I'm not going to do it. And he got fucked. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, sir, I don't want to take up too much of your time. You're, you're here not for us. You're here to support this cause. But I have learned more from you in the 15 minutes we got a chance to spend together about true leadership. And I think you're a voice of reason in a chaotic time. And I mean that from my heart. I'm humbled by that. I appreciate yeah, it. it. Sometimes you see these, these leaders and, and even politicians and they just flip-flop. That's all they do. You know, and I've... <laughs> I've done a little bit of research on you, and that's the, one of the major things that I respect about you is you have your opinion, you're straightforward, and you never flip-flop. My point of view, and it's backed by research and data, because anybody can have an opinion, but mine's a point of view that has been um, arrived at through thinking and listening to others, and then I form my view and say, here's where I am, and, and I go, here's why. Here's why, because it's right, wrong, or indifferent. Here's, here's why. why. Yes. That's the important thing, because like I said, anybody can have an opinion. But thanks, you guys. I want to thank you for what you're doing. Listen, um, I just wish there were more leaders like you in this world. Well, I hear that a lot. I'm humbled by it. You know um, why? I'm going to tell you. know what? It's, the, the thing is, people are afraid, man. I'm gonna leadership put, is scary. I'm going to put my finger on why you're a good leader. And it's something that everybody can do. You just found a way to do it effectively, and that's to fight for people underneath you, which will make them fight for you all that much harder. You know, that's where I derive my inspiration. I tell people all the time when they say, you know, you inspire me. I go, no, you inspire me. So it's a two-way street, and that's cool. Well, thank you so much, sir, for being here. Sheriff David Clark, America's Sheriff. He's just an amazing individual. Oh, thanks, man. Fantastic. It was, it was an I'm absolute just a guy. pleasure I'm meeting just you. just a guy. <laughs> You're a guy doing the right thing, though. <laughs> thank you. All right. You take care of yourself, sir. We all need a little relief from time to time. And there's a new product out there that I want you to go check out. It's called Heroes Relief Wine. This wine's going to benefit four organizations dedicated to relieving the heavy burdens that weigh on our military and first responders' shoulders. These are people who take care of us. It's time we start returning the favor. This wine's going to benefit Live Free Farm, a veteran-run and owned animal sanctuary dedicated to the healing of invisible scars through animal therapy. 23rd Hour Angels, the healing team is comprised of three beautiful women that rescue military and first responders from the burdens that trauma causes. Dented Development Project and the Suffering Podcast help repair dents caused by suffering in first responders and their families by showing how there is light in the end of the tunnel. So go to oldyorksellers.com and search for Heroes Relief Wine or check our show notes for the link. The Suffering Podcast family has grown. The Hackensack Brewing Company is an American success story. Born in the basement and developed by true beer practitioners, the Hackensack Brewing Company has emerged as a leader in the brewing community with their four staple brews. The Fairmount Pale Ale, the Parking Lot Pilts, 
the Musket Haze New England IPA, and the Moments Notice Irish Stout. But they don't stop there. The Hackensack Brewing Company has produced over 50 seasonal and specialty craft beer throughout their history, with the best yet to come. Don't get caught drinking a product developed by an impersonal corporate machine. The guys at the Hackensack Brewing Company suffer for their beer. Without the beer to back it up, the brand is nothing. Visit them at hackensackbrewing.com or check the show notes for the link. Here you'll find their dynamic and changing list of specialized brews. The Hackensack Brewing Company provides convenient online ordering and pickup. The Hackensack Brewing Company. Peace. Love. Beer. Beer. We were very fortunate to have on our last episode Dr. Eugene Stefanelli, who's done so many good things to combat this epidemic, this pandemic of blue suicide. And we're very fortunate to have somebody else here who has taken on that fight, who is soldiering on Anna Paish. Yes. It's, it's yeah. the Portuguese, Portuguese in me that I'm, I'm trying to bring out. She's a therapist, in local therapist. Yes. So uh, I have my office in Cranford. So people can see me in person there. And then I do virtual. So I can see anyone really in the state of New Jersey as well as Florida. Actually, people don't know that. So, Anna, when we talked the first time, there's something that was very interesting about you. Most police officers, type A personalities, most type A personalities, they're very hesitant to speak to a therapist. They have to feel comfortable. Cops only hang around with other cops. But you're different. So why are you different? We've spoken about this on the phone. <laughs> You're different because you have an automatic in. You live with a police officer. Is that not correct? I do. Okay. And who is that police officer to you? He is my husband. He is my husband. <laughs> so you know We first, could do a whole episode on police wives, too. <laughs> you know full well the pains of living with a first responder, somebody who's going through that trauma and stress on a daily basis. They eat it for breakfast and they, they go to sleep with it at night. Absolutely. Do you open up about that? when you speak with your clients that, hey, my, I understand my, officer, my husband is an officer? Absolutely. I think that it's important to build rapport and confidence. Um, and it kind of allows the officer that I have in front of me, his guard to go a little bit down. Like, okay, I don't have to really explain everything because right. this person kind of already knows. Mike talks about this. Mike, you had said something when you went to one of the workers' comp doctors that you had to explain grand jury to them, which from a person in, in my chair speaking to a therapist who has no idea, you're going to tell me I have to sit there and explain something that you're put in charge of me treating me for? It's just insane. Yeah. So that, that's very important that you already have that foot in the door, and I think it's a good fit for you. Absolutely. And I think the other piece of it is, you know, even if I, let's say there's a therapist that's not married to an officer, there's so many training programs so that the officer in front of them doesn't have to sit there and explain certain things. So if a therapist really feels as though they want to treat first responders, or if they get a first responder, it's their responsibility to say, look, I need more training in this area and let the first responder decide whether or not they want to move forward. I think, um, I think therapists and doctors alike are very afraid to say that I don't know. To me, at least you own something that you don't know. You're not going to give me a bullshit answer just because you want to sound smart. Well, as, as police, we're, we're yes, suspicious. suspicious of people <laughs> anyway. Definitely. You know, and, and if you go in there and you don't feel like, or, or, or if the cop, 
feels that you don't know what you're talking about, they're not going to open up to you. Yeah, and they'll they'll figure that out probably quicker than any other person yeah. does. So it doesn't, it's not really going to help you to uh, help a therapist to say that they know when they when they don't. Well, that's I, just one barrier that you have to deal with. Absolutely. What do you think some of the most difficult barriers are in dealing with the treatment of police and in, in specifically police? Oh, gosh, where do I start? Um, (laughs) (laughs) The majority of them are men. That's a big problem. We are an odd breed. You know, I don't even think it's the men piece. You know, what I think it is, is that you're first responders, so you are in the helping profession. People call you for help. So then the idea becomes that, well, if I'm the person that people call for help, then I need to figure out how to fix my own problems, and i got to do it on my own. And, and it's not just the people, the civilians that are calling on you. Your family members are probably calling on you. Your friends call you. Your dependable guys normally have a hard time saying no. Um, at least that's been my experience. And so Most then, difficult word in the English language to say yeah. is no. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's proven. Exactly, exactly. And, and when, you're, when you're in that service industry, that's, that's, it's very difficult to say something like that. Even harder. Yeah. Right. So then you get that, that in that mindset of I'm the helper then I should be able to help myself. So that's one. That's the one barrier. Well, you just hit the nail on the head right there. We talk about it all the time. People who help other people generally don't take care of themselves. Absolutely. If you look yeah. at, I'm not picking on anybody, but say nurses, yeah. EMS workers, not all. There are some very health, unhealthy nurses and unhealthy EMS workers. Mm-hmm. These, these are people put in charge of taking care of others medically, yet they have a difficult time taking care of themselves Mm -hmm. because they're always looking that way they're never looking in the mirror yeah yeah let me take care of them let me devote my life over here you can't help anybody else until you take care of yourself and that does take a special person to put their needs before your own 100 percent, 100 percent. but like i said you can't help anybody if you yourself are in pain and a lot of officers come to you they are in pain yet they're still trying to help other people yeah yeah and it's one of the conversations that i have oftentimes with a lot of my officers is okay how can we help you set some boundaries because you can't help everyone i you know i wish we could help everyone that we came across but we just can't we have to we have to really understand and listen to our body because along the way we've learned to ignore all of the signs that our body is telling us that we should probably be saying no so it's really learning about is my cup full enough so that I can take care of my someone else or do I need to unfortunately take a step back from this and that's probably one of the hardest things for people to do in my introduction in the last episode I I put it this way that each traumatic incident that we see as a police officer we don a new piece of armor to try to guard ourselves against from ever feeling anything or getting hurt from that trauma ever again and what happens? Armor after armor after armor, and it starts weighing us down yeah. until we can't move anymore. And yeah. we're so burdened down by that trauma armor. Sure. I equate it to even the Jenga puzzle where every time you see a trauma, you can take a piece out. Sooner or later, it's going to topple. It's going to topple. It's- I hate that game. <laughs> Terrible at it. <laughs> it's because you've got no dexterity. You got that right. You lo- I think you lose your dexterity just so you know, like when you're around like 50, 
Just so you know. Good to know. Just so you know. <laughs> so you see this stigma of blue suicide. Obviously, we're here at the blue suicide, uh, a moment of silence, blue magazine event. You see this stigma of officers in need of mental health therapy, this stigma that's attached to it. How do we overcome this stigma, in your opinion? So that's a good question, and I have some ideas about that. I think, first of all, these kinds of events and, and talking, right? Talking about it, normalizing it. But I think another barrier that leads to the stigma and leads to officers not going to reach out for help is that there's no universal, sort of say, or state policy around how to, I don't want to say manage, but manage someone who's reaching out for help. There isn't a standard to follow. Each department handles it differently. You know, something just occurred to me, and, and this is a question that you may be able to answer for me. So if I'm on the job and I break my leg on a certain incident, workers' comp follows me. I have a 20-year career where my brain is injured, because I'm seeing traumatic incident after traumatic incident. And I go to my administration and say, I'm having some mental, I need some help. Would workers' comp cover that? I think they should. They shouldn't. They shouldn't. They they shouldn't do are two different things. That's why I'm asking. And I don't know. I don't even know that answer, to be honest. I would venture to say that would be a fight that you would have to take up with workers' comp. And it would be a difficult fight because I've tried Mm -hmm. to fight workers' comp on certain things. And it's just like certain things I don't want to listen to. Mental health issues are work-related. Absolutely. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Nine times out of ten. And the thing of it is, I think what the barrier is, when you have a broken leg, you can see it. Yeah. Right? It's visible. There's no denying it. Mental health. And there are some scam artists in our profession that would try to circumvent the rules if they wanted to get out. And I I do understand their perspective. I get it. It doesn't make it right. No, No. it it doesn't make it right. I think it still should be a workman's confidence. I don't have the right answer for that it's something i would like to look into actually does anybody have the right answer for well that? that's the problem to give you an example of how much it disgusts me because after i retired and i went out because of a critical incident because of a shooting and the way i retired i had several people come up and ask so listen i was thinking of retiring what do i say let you say the truth because yeah. it was very insulting to me they, the pension board makes it very difficult rightfully so because we don't want anybody slipping through who's not They're weeding them out yeah they got to weed them out a little bit it was very offensive to me, and I got really mad. I got really mad. Like, how dare you belittle? Right. You're basically saying that... That you lied. That I'm full of shit. That's how you... Yeah. Inter- yep. I lied, so teach me to lie like you. Mm-hmm. And, and it was very offensive. We got to get rid of this stigma of mental health, but we also got to guard against the, the people who maybe aren't truthful, and we have to make sure that the people getting through are get, just getting help. It's a fine line to walk in. It's a big order to ask of our therapists. Let's just talk about, for example, the Bushio program, right? And I, I've spoken about this before. You, you go into departments and you see the flyers all over the place, chiefs, administrators, you know, your, your sergeants, your lieutenants, your deputy chiefs, they're all pushing guys, get this test, get this test, make sure everything is kosher physically. But there's no mental health component of that um, service. And you don't hear administrators saying, go speak to a therapist. Go speak to a therapist. You know, that's where fire, firemen have it right, because they have the kitchen table. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they get to sit around and they talk to each other. 
and they let whatever feel. That's why firemen don't have the same issues as police officers. They do. They, I'm not discounting what they do. They do things I don't want to do. Yeah. They run into burning places. I, I don't like that. I'm running out of But we don't have that camaraderie of living together, of sitting at the kitchen table and breaking bread. And I got to tell you, that is coming more and more away, too. Like, I'm, you know, I treat all first responders. And so I hear firefighters as well talking about how that camaraderie is starting to dissipate. And really, dis- that yeah. would be a shame if that goes, because that was always one of the big draws to be to firefighting yeah. For me. Yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, my sense is it's also starting to kind of go away, unfortunately. Something I started while I was still an officer and I did it in, in my new career is I am a big believer in having at least a coffee break together mm-hmm. as a group. I started it in police administration, hated it, hated it. But it was a camaraderie building thing where we can sit and talk and we half the time we break each other's chops but it was fun and it, it built it built bonds right. it built trust so uh if if i was having an issue hey look I'm, I'm having a little i'm having a little problem so i think that's something maybe that might be an avenue on how to break this stigma is bring back a little bit more family that blue line is is it's not there the way it used to be right 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 uh, in but my it's opinion more, i think it has is more than just uh busting chops right it's also talking about the struggles that each of you are going through so you can bust each other's chops all day but if you're not asking someone like listen how do you how are you doing and not as a formality but more of like no really how are you doing well, there has to be that mutual trust and and that's sure. so when i know with with mike and i you know we, we break each other's chops really bad however <laughs> incessantly if you were to listen to the word this don't get any ideas on here, Mike. But if you were to listen to the words behind that, it's yeah. like, bro, I care about you. Of course. That's how we show that we. As convoluted as that sounds, that's how we show that we care about each other without be calling some homophobic tagline, <laughs> right. which happens as well. Yeah. You've come into some contact, I'm sure, with blue suicide. Mm-hmm. Do you do you have any personal experiences that you'd like to share? Not keep the names out of it obviously but I want to get this word out of things that you go through yeah absolutely I mean one that comes to mind right away is one of my husband's lieutenants from his previous department not the one he's with now who did commit suicide and it came to a shock I know he was definitely shocked I had met him so it was a shock to me no one expected it and I think that is common when it happens everyone's like in shock like what like, now you start second guessing, like, is there like, something I could I have missed, done? Yeah. Uh, did I miss something? Did could I miss I have the signs? So- right. But the, there were because you feel stupid because there there were some signs. There was some signs, and if you deny that, then you're fooling yourself. It's just we didn't identify them. Right. So you feel like you missed something. You feel like you you're, you were taken advantage of almost. Right. You, right, you right. were stolen from. Right. And and listen, cops are very good at keeping appearances. Putting, for the up, most putting up that front. front. Exactly. Put up that Everything front, is huh? good. That's and cops and addicts have that in common. Right. I mean, a lot of cops are addicts, but... The, uh, but you, you know, if something... You're good at lying to people and yourself. God forbid something happens at your house. You don't want a cop coming to your house that's all slumped over and having a bad day and everything. You know, you, you have to put up that front. Mm-hmm. You could be hurting inside. Sure. Even when you go home to your families, yeah. you, you got to put on that, that 
strong face because you don't want whatever happened at work to impact your family. Unfortunately, it's unavoidable, and my wife has caught the brunt of more bad days than I'd like to tell you. Yeah. And it's a shame. It really is a shame because she didn't do anything wrong. Right. She, I, she was just in the way. I, I used to hate that. I don't want to say hate it, but it kind of bothered me. You'd come home and they'd say, how was work? Do you really want to know? Do you, do you really want to know? Or you, that's just like the question, hey, how are you? Oh, hey, you know, it's just, you know what? Right. Great. I pulled a two-year-old boy out of a locked toy box where he suffocated and died. Right. Do you want to hear that? Oh, we'll talk about it. Yeah, oh, what? you want to see what color it was? He was like a magenta blue, and it, right. it was fun. Right, right. Yeah. And so you don't want to bring that home, and so you just kind of say, oh, you know, it's good, you know, regular day. Yeah, normal stuff. You know. <laughs> Maybe that's the wrong attitude as well. Maybe it's time for us to start speaking to those close around. Uh, the truth yeah. We don't want to. We don't want to burden them with the same things that we're burdened about. They're burdened for. But maybe that's. Uh, listen, I will try any new method because whatever method that that's been done for the last fifty years is not working. Right. We need to move in a new direction and figure out a way to solve this problem. So if that's yeah. if that's something that hey, let's try it. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't work. If it doesn't work, all right. We only lost a small amount of time. Absolutely. I mean, look carrying it and not speaking about it all you're doing is just stuffing it down stuffing it down accumulating and accumulating versus just letting it out it finally feels like a kind of a relief like you took off that 50 pound book bag that's been sitting on your shoulders sometimes your family does want to know I, i've said to my husband before i was like listen what my mind can imagine you're doing at work is probably 10 times worse than what it actually is so sometimes <laughs> sometimes sometimes yes sometimes it's worse than what you can imagine but for the most part you're right where the most part is hey i'm gonna go get a cup of coffee and especially if you're in a, in your rural you're in a rural department i'm gonna go drive around the town for the 500th time <laughs> you know, especially if you're working midnights on a sunday into a monday 12 hour shifts yeah oh look hey look there's my 47th raccoon that i've seen and kids big ben parliament big ben parliament <laughs> right like european vacation most of the time it is boring but it's interrupted by some sheer horror of course of and, course and i would never take that away yeah. right maybe it's not sharing the all of the gruesome details right because that that's what you go to therapy for but maybe it's time uh, in that incident I told you with the child locked in a toy box. That is, that was a real event that happened to me. Yeah. And I had to go home and my wife asked me how it was. Maybe, maybe a better way in retrospect, obviously hindsight is always twenty twenty. Look, I had a really bad incident happen today. I'm not ready to talk about it yet. Maybe in the future. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Please. Can I just have some time to be honest and open? It's hard to have that pause in order yeah. to bring that rational portion of your brain back. And to admit yes. that it affected you. Yeah. Because well, I that, think that's the bigger part. That's it's, a tough it's one. not so much that you're coming home and saying those things. It's I have to admit to my wife, who you perceive has this idea of you that nothing affects oh, you. Yeah, exactly. Right? Well, you have to shut your emotions down. It's very difficult. Yeah, it's it's when you're when you're working, it's survival, right? Not only do you have to shut off your emotions, you have to shut off all of those survival instincts that essentially tell you, no, you don't go that way. You go the opposite way. You're literally having to ignore all of that and shut that down, and you do it so much that 
it becomes part of the normal life where you're so disconnected with your bodily feelings and sensations. You don't even recognize them. I don't know how many times I've heard first responders say to me, I feel numb. Yeah. I don't feel anything. If I think back to when I was an officer, I, I cried very little. Very little things that would cause normal emotion in me I did, didn't affect me. After I started releasing, and it took a long time, especially after I retired, it took a long time for me to release all that pain and that anger to where my emotions started to normalize. Now, that was just happened last night. I was watching American Sniper, and Chris Kyle's funeral's going down the highway in Texas. I'm just, it's like waterfalls. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking, God, what, what's the matter with me now? Like, but, but how nothing. good does it feel? It does. After you're done, you're like, you know what? At least, at least I'm feeling again. Yes. You know, it's it's funny. I had this conversation the other day. I, I ran into two. I don't want to call them kids. They're in their twenties, but they just got out of basic training for the army, and they knew that I had dealt with PTSD and still dealing with it and everything. And they started asking me a couple of questions. I said, two things I want to tell you. Don't be afraid to talk to someone, and don't be afraid to cry. Yeah. I said, you're going to think you're Joe Macho Cop, especially if they see combat duty. You know, you're going to think you're Joe Macho, you know, army guy and all that. You're going to keep eating those feelings. Keep eating them. Don't be afraid to talk to someone. And don't be afraid to cry. Absolutely. And that's just it. Like, when you're in it, you have to keep it together. You know, it's, it's necessary for the job. But once everything has settled, taking the time to reflect on what the hell just happened. <laughs> yes. Right? What uh, yes. the hell well, just Well, this is happened? important because we need to start getting methods out there that we can self start the beginning process of self-healing. I'm not trying to take any business away from you. And trust no, me, no. working in the police field, you will never have a shortage of business. <laughs> yeah. But we do need a smart career choice. Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's either police therapist, police lawyer, or mortician because you'll never run out of business. So we need to start getting these methods out there yeah. to people and giving them just basic tools in their toolbox so they can identify, give pause, so they're not, they don't shut down completely. Because shutting down completely seems like, so we talk about it this way. Why is my show called The Suffering Podcast? Mike and I talk about this all the time. Because everybody thinks, and it's instinctual, to run away from the suffering. Yep. Just like police, run away from these emotions. Yep. Well, it's that, because it's counterintuitive to run towards that suffering and get through it. If you run towards it, the duration of, of that suffering in there, that struggle, it's much shorter. Yeah. It's much shorter. But if you're running from it, it just keeps following you. And it keeps, it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and bigger and bigger. And that's when we feel like nothing's ever going to help me. That's where we get the hopelessness and helplessness. This is where substance abuse starts to take a hold of people because I've, I say this all the time. Well, that's just an avoidance. That's them running away from their pain. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a solution to a problem. Because a lot of the times what I hear is, well, this is my problem. The substance abuse. No, no, no. The substance abuse is not the problem. Nope. The substance abuse is the solution to the problem. So now let's unpack that and figure out what the actual problem is. Because if we can work on that, you won't need to drink. Because you don't know any other way at this time. Drinking is helpful to you right now. Because it gives you social norm normalization. Temporary Tem- social right. normalization. It helps you escape. Yes. And, uh, aside from that, it also helps you escape. For that moment, while I'm under the influence, I don't give a crap about anything else. Yeah. 
See, we, we have it very lucky here on the Suffering Podcast because we get to play armchair therapist without having the constraints of a license or the liabilities of a license. So please keep in mind these things that I'm saying. I've, I'm, I'm coming from a little bit of experience going through the pain and suffering of, of all this stuff. However, I'm willing to try new things and get the word out so others... I'm tired of losing my brothers and sisters yeah. for, to blue suicide. And I have a feeling you're tired of... Hearing about it. Hearing about it and treating people and seeing it and, and, and it's it's enough. Enough is enough. Yeah. Yeah. We want the Blue Magazine to continue doing these events. Anna, I cannot thank you so much for coming on here. You have a lot of insight. We're gonna introduce you to our very dear friend Doctor Stefanelli, who's sitting over there like the, the Don of a of the commission. <laughs> Smoking a cigar. Smoking a cigar. <laughs> Self care. Self care. <laughs> Looking at that man, he's the reason that I'm still alive. Absolutely. And I'm sure there's many officers out here that you're, they're going to look at you in that same way and say, Anna is the reason that I'm alive. Thank you so much for what Appreciate you do. Thank, Thank you, you for what you do. That is great. I mean, it, like I said, it's a, it takes a special person to, to take on other people's problems. Really Absolutely. Is. And it's, you know, it's a service that I do because I see all of what you guys give. A lot of people don't, unfortunately. They think we just drive around drinking coffee and donuts. and Part right. of the time, they're right. right. <laughs> <laughs> but like um, you said, though, it could be the most boring period. Right. Then one crack at that radio. It always is the most boring period. Yeah. Except yeah. You, here's one little rule. If you ever get an officer in therapy who wants to bring eat a white powdered donut while in uniform, tell him to stop, put him in the hospital. <laughs> that is like the giant no-no. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, that was probably one of the most enjoyable experiences doing this podcast here for the Blue Magazine's uh, Blue Camping and Law Enforcement and Friends Retreat. You know, it, it's such an important reason that we're here with Blue Suicide. And we got a chance to talk to, you know, Dr. Eugene Stefanelli, who helped us out immensely. I'm you know. so Liz, we've been fighting to get him on the show for so long. He came at this event. It, it's so important. We ha, we got Sheriff David Clark. We had Anna Anna Peich. She's she's amazing. Yeah. And this needs to get out. I the, want this to get out and get into people's ears. Well, mental health and law enforcement is a major issue these days. You know, we went through stats of how many police officers were lost to suicide within the last couple of years, and something's got to be done about it. So that's going to do it for this episode of The Suffering Podcast, The Suffering of Blue Suicide, our remote show for Blue Magazine's Blue Camping Law Enforcement and Friends Mental Health Retreat. And let's think about the, uh, the main thing that we learned today, and that is we are not better off without you, and that I'd rather sit there and listen to your problems than attend your funeral. And remember, you are not alone. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We will see you on the next episode of The Suffering Podcast.